Hi guys, my name is Tim, and tonight the Bible reading is from Mark chapter 8 verses 34 to chapter 9 verses 1. So I'll give you a minute to get that out. It's page 100, sorry, 1,537 in the Bibles at the back. When he called the crowd to him, along with his disciples, and said, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? If anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his Father's glory with the holy angels. And he said to them, Truly, I tell you, some of you who are standing here will not taste death before they see that the kingdom of God has come with power. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Tim. Hey. Oh, good to see you too. What a reception. Uh, so good to be here, so good to be um, talking about Jesus today, so good to be celebrating uh, what he is doing amongst us and in us. Uh, let me pray and then we'll uh, jump in. Father, we thank you for you, uh, we thank you that you are big and we are small, thank you that you uh, are the Lord of life, that you give us life in the midst of what feels like darkness, that you give us joy in the midst of what feels like a horrible situation, that you give us peace in the midst of turmoil and give us contentment in the midst of unrest. Father, thank you that you are real and that what we talk about tonight uh, is not fake, it is not stuff that we're making up, but is stuff that is founded in the historical reality of your son coming to be with us. In his name, amen. Uh, as has been the habit the last little while, um, if you want to watch the slides that will pop up on the screen, uh, you can look at the slide images on that link or uh, watch the slides live on uh, the other one. Um, just fair warning, the slide images are slightly out of date. I might have changed like two slides, so you'll be like, you'll be like so frustrated at me at the, the lack of connection there. But, you know, get amongst it. All right, tonight we're talking about uh, li- uh, life, uh, living with our stuff. Uh, we're doing this series moment called uh, Road Signs to Life, talking about different issues, different parts of life, and thinking through what are the signs, what are the stories of God that help us walk through these different situations. And tonight we're talking particularly about uh, living with our stuff. When I think about uh, our stuff, um, oh, here's structure we're going through tonight. Living with our stuff, uh, what it means to be disciples of Jesus, uh, and dangers and questions for our stuff. Let me define stuff for you, because that's quite a broad category of stuff. Uh, stuff, when I, mean, when I say stuff tonight, here's what I'm referring to. I'm referring to our material things that we own. I'm referring to the relationships that we have. And I'm referring to uh, the experiences that we have. Because those are all things that we collect, right? They're all things that we desire and hold on to. They're all things that give us things. So the first question is, uh, why do you have the stuff you have? When you think about your life, think about the relationships you have, and you think about that trip to Europe you're going on later this year, when you think about uh, your bedroom, and you think about the cool stuff there, when you think about the phone in your pocket, when you think about the Apple Watch on your hand, 
that will beep at least five times within this sermon. When you think about your stuff, why are people giggling? It's true. Oh, really? Just then? Oh, that's so good. Thanks, Katie. That's good. Yeah, it worked. Um, I sent that text. Now, um, uh, why do you have the stuff you have? Because that stuff is, is incredibly significant for who you are. That stuff influences you and shapes you and makes you a certain type of person. Because our identity and who we are is shaped by our relationship with things. It's Mother's Day, and a fun fact that I learned when I was going through the process of having kids, um, I learned a lot of stuff that I didn't know when I was having kids. Um, uh, One of the key things I learned was that for a baby, for their first like six months of being alive, they have no identity outside their attachment to their mum. They don't think of themselves as like, that's my mum over there and I'm over here. They think of themselves as, that's one thing. That's who I am, is who my mum is. I'm attached to them. And then as we grow older and we get bigger and stuff and we, we gain other stuff and we attach to other stuff. We take on things and those things start to influence us and shape us. I mean, the classic cheap shot here is to go, you're attached to your phone. Um, you are, it's okay, so am I. We're all in it. Uh, uh, but we are, we're shaped by our phones. They're, they're finding the research now shows that we think differently because we have phones. We read differently because we have Twitter. We engage with the world differently because of Instagram. I'm not saying that's negative or positive. I'm just saying that your stuff shapes how you think. You walk through life thinking differently. You're thinking about as you sit down to have food, you're thinking about is this an Instagrammable moment? And that's okay. I do it too. I like seeing your Instagrams. Follow me. It's nice. Um, But we are shaped by our stuff. I feel like I vicariously get to enjoy your meal with you. It's great. My, my wife and kids went to Japan uh, in the holidays. I didn't go to Japan, but I did via Instagram. It was amazing. Uh, but we are shaped by that stuff. It re- rethinks how we do things. And because of that, because we're shaped so much by it, because of that experience of that thing, well, we long for things that would produce good things for us, Right? If you're affected by something, you want to latch onto those things that will make you feel good. And so, we, are, we enter into this cycle of accumulation of stuff, of material stuff, of relationships, of experiences we want to have to make sure we have the good life. We accumulate, we gather, we are collectors of things to build in us the experience of the good life. We live in the cycle of the new and novel and the experience of good to create good in us. We're in the constant cycle of the if. If I have this, then I will be happier. If I have this, then I will be better. If I have this, I will be healthier. If I have this, I will have the life that I desire. Our stuff becomes the means to an end of the good life, of the life of contentment, of peace, of joy. The good of the stuff is the thing that we desire. It becomes a tool for which we are seeking to gain the good life. And the classic move, and you all know it's coming, of that idea of actually those things just don't seem to kind of last. Those moments of content and peace and joy are flippant, momentary, like leaves in the wind. The peace of that European holiday disappears when you go back to work. 
The contentment of finally being in that relationship is challenged by the difficulty of the fact you're in a relationship. The joy of that new iPhone thing, computer, whatever, uh, the new shirt, it wears off because it becomes the normal thing and the new one comes out. I'm like four versions behind on the iPhone right now. I know, I'm like, oh man, I'm missing out. We live with stuff. How are we meant to think about that stuff? How are we meant to um, be shaped by it, but also think about how is that influencing us and making us think and live? Tonight we're looking at um, some words of Jesus in Mark chapter 8. I'd love it if you have that open in front of you. Um, I'm particularly focusing on uh, one verse on 8.34. There it is right there. I'm particularly focusing on that verse. Just to give you some context of these words, um, uh, these words come in a very important part of Mark. Uh, Mark can be broken up into two parts. Uh, the first half is uh, chapters 1 through to kind of halfway through 8. Uh, and in those chapters, the one question that's being asked all the time is, who is Jesus? Then just before this, we establish who Jesus is, and then uh, Jesus predicts his death on the cross, the first prediction in Mark. And then we have this passage, and then from this passage onwards, right to the end of, uh, the end of Mark, is what does Jesus come to do? So we've got who is Jesus, and what does Jesus come to do? And this passage sits right in the middle of that. It comes as a key interchange of, who Jesus is, he's the Messiah, he's the one that's come to save, he's the Lord. And then, what has he come to do? And here we are, right in that passage. It focuses right in on that. The fascinating thing, as we read this passage, read this particular verse, and it helps us think about a relationship with stuff, is it doesn't give us a list. It doesn't give you a nice guideline. It doesn't give you a nice category or box of way to think through your stuff. It doesn't say Christians can only earn $64,500 a year and that is the perfect amount to be holy and follow Jesus. It describes what a disciple of Jesus is, which gives you the principle, therefore, to walk forward in wisdom and work out how to follow Jesus. So Christianity isn't um, a tight list of rules or a tight box to fit within. It's a relationship with Jesus where he leads us and guides us and gives us um, the wisdom and entrusts to us our own lives to make decisions within that. And he also covers when we fail. It's great. All right, let's have a look at 8.34. Then he called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. So immediately thinking, this doesn't actually talk about your stuff. Well, it's talking about people that are disciples of Jesus. It's going right to the heart of who we are, and from there we can work out how do we interact with our stuff. It gives us three things, three descriptions, three ideas of what a disciple of Jesus is. The first one, a disciple of Jesus is someone who denies themselves. Denies themselves. They think of themselves less. It doesn't mean they think less of themselves, they're not devaluing themselves, they're not isolating themselves, they're not being mean to themselves, but they think of themselves less. Their life is less about them. They say no to things that they would desire. They deny things. They think about what does it mean to not just say yes to every single desire that I have in my life to make me feel better. 
And this is particular, it's not, it's not universal, it's not like I'm going to say to this room, here's what you must all deny yourselves, it's particular for each individual person. And individuals know best probably what hinders them from following Jesus. That's what you need to deny. Some of you need to leave your jobs and family. That's what the disciples had to do. When Jesus came to them and said, follow me, they had to give up their vocation to follow Jesus. For some of you, some of us, sorry, not you, us, uh, we are proud. And so for us, we need to deny our desire for status and honour. For some of us, we are greedy. And so we need to stop seeking wealth. For some of us, we are complacent. And we need to forsake and deny our love of the easy life. For some of us, we're faint-hearted and fearful. For those of us like that, we need to deny our craving for security. Some of us are potentially violent. We need to stop seeking revenge. We need to deny those things that become obstacles to following Jesus. We need to put them behind us. That's the first description of a disciple, someone who denies themselves. The second one is, they take up their cross. Now, the people of the time who were hearing this mainly would have been uh, Jewish people at this point. Um, this would have been a horrible thing to say. I mean, we, we kind of get that it's horrible in terms of it's a horrible way to die. Um, uh, but the way they would have heard it as horrible is um, the shame that comes with this. Because what they're saying is that uh, you take up their cross as an image of uh, when someone was being punished, uh, when someone was going to be killed by crucifixion by the Romans, they would go from one part of town, they would put their cross on their shoulder, and they would have to carry that cross all the way through town up to the, up to the hill uh, to be crucified. That walking part was just as much as part of the punishment as the death. Because the whole way along, everyone saw you. You were shamed. You were treated as less than. There was a cost. There was pain involved. There was loss. So Jesus is saying, deny yourself and be willing to take up that which may cause you to be shamed by others. Take up which, that which might... Uh, cause you to experience punishment. Take up that which may make your friends not like you as much as they like you. Take up that which may cause people to stop following you on Instagram. Deny yourself and take up that potential for suffering. And finally, follow Jesus. So you move from denying yourself, taking up your cross, and following Jesus. Following his uh, plans, his desires, his story, having less of yourself in the conversation and more of Jesus in the conversation. Every time you are making decisions in life, you're walking through going, what does Jesus say to this? What does Jesus bring into this moment? How am I going to follow Jesus in this story? How am I going to follow Jesus in this particular circumstance of my life? Deny, take up the cross, and follow Jesus kind of summarise how that experience is. The deny, yourself, deny themselves is saying no to things. Following Jesus is saying yes to following Jesus. It's the positive direction. And the taking up of the cross is the experience of saying no and yes. That as disciples of Jesus, for them in their time and for us in our time, there will be things we will say no to. 
And there'll be consequences of those. It will shape, shape our experience of our relationships and our world around us. No, yes to Jesus, an experience of saying no and yes. Now as I read this verse, I can't think of a more uh, countercultural uh, verse to say into our culture. It's hard to think of one. Um, it was conflict, controversial to them at the time, but potentially it's even more kind of difficult for us because uh, essentially our culture has the complete opposite. Our culture says in order to be happy, successful and have a good life, you fulfill your desires, you don't deny them, you avoid all potential shame and suffering and you follow yourself, you do you. You fulfill your desires and your wants. You avoid all shame and suffering and you follow yourself. You do you. This is the gospel of self. And Jesus is pushing right back against that and going, no, no. Here's what it looks like to be a disciple of me. Deny yourself. Take up your cross, the risk of shame and suffering, and follow me. Jesus says the opposite of what uh, our culture would say is the way to success, fulfillment and happiness. To deny and say, deny desires, to say yes to Jesus, knowing there is the possibility of shame and consequences that come with that. What Jesus gives us in this verse is a fuller picture of what it means when we say that thing, do you trust in Jesus? That is not a cheap question. Sometimes we treat it cheaply. Sometimes I treat it cheaply. That's, that's, I'll be honest, it's me that treats it cheaply. Sometimes we treat that as just a, we're looking for a hopeful yes from people. But it is a big thing to trust Jesus. Because it's not just saying a big yes that way and then just keeping everything in life the same. It is a big, I'm turning away from that life. I'm denying myself to hold on to Jesus. I'm letting go of that other stuff. I'm taking hold of Jesus. I'm denying self and I'm following Jesus. Instead of worshipping myself, I'm going to worship Jesus. Jesus not only becomes a part of life, but is reshaping all of life because he brings something to say to every single part of our lives. He asks big questions of us. And he asks big questions of our stuff. It's funny the things you feel like are, are like topics you can talk about in church that aren't controversial and topics you can talk about that are controversial. I think, to be brutally honest, I would find it easier to ask, uh, ask a married couple how their sex life was going rather than question why they're doing up their bathroom for the second time. Because money is private. It's ours. It's in our own private space. There are things we don't talk about, that we never ask about. But Jesus comes in and says, deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. And that asks big questions of everything of our lives. Asks big questions of every part of our stuff. Um, as I've uh, been trying to think through this verse and think about how it relates to our stuff, um, there's been a few implications that have popped up for me and they've kind of come up in this like frame of dangers, of dangers that come up when I'm thinking about stuff. Here they are. 
is the dangers. We're going to walk through them. There's no particular order to them. They're just um, thoughts and ideas that came as I was chatting with people and trying to think through how do we think about our stuff. The first danger is um, being legalistic. And I, I feel like I've experienced this. I also feel like I've perpetuated this at different times. It comes out like this, um, uh, that there is, there's a danger of being specific and particular about the stuff we have when Scripture is not specific and particular. Christians can only earn this much money. Christians can only spend this much on a house. How dare that person have that particular uh, clothes? How, could they, how can they spend that much on that when people are starving in Africa? I love the guilting starving in Africa claim. We just throw it out there. How can you as a Christian think that? How can you do this? And what we do is we create this like legalistic bubble of the things that are in and out and the things that, oh, you're, you're a fine Christian if you get this right and you're not a good Christian if you don't get that right. Let's be careful not to add to Scripture. Let's be careful not to give burdens that Scripture does not give. The denying of ourselves, I think, is particular. It is particular for different people. For some people, they can be faithfully following Jesus and have lots of money. It is not a temptation to them. For some people, having a lot of money is a real danger. It stops them from following Jesus. What that means is we can't just put a stamp on this is bad and this is good. It means we need to walk with each other as a community and go, hey, go on with that. Is that stopping you following Jesus? Is that a blocker for you? Is that hindering your walk with Jesus? Second danger, um, not asking, uh, asking truth. It's not, not really a sentence. Asking truth with grace. Um, not asking the question that we have about people's lives with tr- or the true questions we have about their stuff with grace. Sometimes we, um, uh, the danger is as Christians we just like make, uh, we make statements and they become kind of like insults to other people. Of how dare you have that thing? Well, you can't have that stuff. We don't come to people with, hey, you're a follower of Jesus, I'm a follower of Jesus. I'm trying to learn, you're trying to learn. Let me walk towards you in grace. We both could be wrong. You could be wrong, I could be right. Who knows? We walk towards each other with a gentleness, seeing the good in each other and desiring the good for each other in Jesus. Third one, um, uh, the danger of not asking the question at all. This happens. Um, this is the place we probably exist the most because we don't want to get uncomfortable in conversations. We don't ask the question of each other. We don't seek to ask the question of ourselves, more importantly. We just make decisions. We make decisions about what feels good, what feels right. And there's bigger questions to ask of. Is this the right step to take? Is this going to hinder me following Jesus or is this about me following Jesus? Is this something where I need to deny myself or someplace I need to walk with Jesus in? Uh, next one, uh, comfort in stuff more than comfort in Jesus. This one's too real, I reckon. Uh, that what happens when things go wrong in our lives is we want to distract ourselves from them. So, we watch hours of YouTube, we sit on Netflix, we comfort ourselves in stuff. Because it is much easier to distract yourself than to deal with stuff. I'm with you. It is much easier. And yet, those things will not give us comfort. They are just merely putting a cover over something for a little while. Just ignoring them. Put them in the background for a little bit. The comfort in Jesus meets those things and brings those, we bring those things to Jesus. Um, we bring the things of our life, we bring them to Jesus and we bring Jesus to those things. And we try and follow Jesus in them. 
Don't ignore them. We seek comfort in Jesus through the hard things rather than comfort in stuff to try and avoid the hard things. Uh, oh, um, becoming whiners. <laughs> um, sometimes uh, followers of Jesus, they have this sense of, um, I'm denying myself, and so that's really hard, and so I'm going to complain about that. Not just saying no to everything, uh, saying no to stuff and being like, oh, I wish I could do that thing. Well, like, this is really hard and really, really hard to say no to this thing. I don't really want to say no to this thing. Sometimes we're being authentic in that moment. And sometimes we're missing out on the beauty of what Jesus is. Sometimes uh, we see Christianity only as saying no to stuff. I'm saying no to that. I'm saying no to that. I'm saying no to that. But the wonder of, wonder of Christianity is you're not just saying no to stuff. You're saying no to that and you're saying yes to Jesus. And that will only work well if you see the beauty of who Jesus is. When we see that the yes in Jesus is more beautiful, more wonderful, more fulfilling, more real, the real way we were created to be, the way humanity was meant to exist in this world, is yes in Jesus. And that's why we're saying no. Sometimes the followers of Jesus, we just walk around seeing big no signs everywhere. Can't go there, can't do that, can't do this. Rather than walking around going, Man, I'm so thankful for this day in Jesus. Last one, um, and this, this one was uh, true of me for a, a, fair, a fair while, particularly when I was a uni student. Uh, this, was, this is the place that I was. Um, the danger of pride in less. Uh, sometimes when you have less, you look upon those who have more and you think they're so much, so much further from Jesus than I am. How horrible is that? Of when people are, uh, when people have more, you think, well, I have less, and clearly I'm closer to Jesus because I'm sacrificing more. I wasn't sacrificing more; I just had less money because I was a uni student. But I was creating this space of I wasn't actually denying myself in that moment, right? Actually, I was still following myself. I was still trying to find a way to make myself feel okay. I wasn't following Jesus. I was just finding a different thing to say no to. I was like, oh, I'm not going to be like those um, rich people who still live with their parents at uni. Oh, I hate those guys. I was still, I had pride in my less of stuff. Those are the dangers. And here's the way to walk forward. Two questions to think about. When it comes to my stuff, am I following Jesus or following myself? And, because we live in context of community, we live in a community that's following Jesus, am I asking others to help me see what I am follow, uh, when I'm following Jesus or following myself? Here's just a, a quick practical example. Um, uh, since I started this church four years ago, I have had to move twice, which is really annoying for me. Uh, but both times, I had, had to think about um, how much rent do I pay, where do I live, and why do I choose to live there? Uh, we started off in Farnborough Heights in this tiny little house. Anyone that ever visited that house knew that if you had like two people in that house, uh, it was already full. And so we quickly realised and quickly worked out that was not a great place to stay. And then came an opportunity, we like, we had to move, so we, we moved and thinking, how do we choose where to live? And we're trying to think about, well, how do we faithfully follow Jesus as we choose where to live? Because me, I wanted to live uh, further away because we could save more money. And I was thinking, yeah, if we save more money, then I can have more coffee. And I can go on better holidays. Uh, and my wife, being the wonderful, wonderful person she is, she said, 
Yes, Miles, but if we live further away, we have less people over to our house. And so I found uh, the house that was closer to where people were uh, with the smallest lounge room. And she said, Miles, you're saving money. That lounge room is too small to have anybody in, let alone you and me. And so we made the decision to pay a little bit more to have a larger lounge room so we could have Bible study and leaders' meetings in our house. And so we had to make that choice. Now, don't hear this as Miles is like being trying to be prideful. I'm trying to give you a living example of how to think through this. I'm not trying to be like, be me. I'm just trying to give you an example. Most of you aren't renting, so it's fine. And then we had to move house again, and the decision came up, oh, what do we do again? And I found the perfect house was right next to the girls' school. Uh, it was much cheaper than even our previous house, uh, but it turns out it was a completely unlivable space, um, and, the lounge, and the lounge room could feed about five people, and then we were done. And Aaron again says, who's this house for? I was like, oh, that's right. This house is for following Jesus, not for following me. And so we moved into a house with a big lounge room. That's great. You can fit at least kind of 15, 16 people in there. It's awesome. I'm really thankful for that. Trying to think through when it comes to my stuff, am I following Jesus or following myself? Final thought. Um, the reality of this is Jesus has actually gone before us in this, right? This isn't all pressure on us. Jesus actually uh, lived this and done this. He's gone before us in this moment. Uh, Jesus denies himself. Mark 14, uh, 35 and 36. Uh, I'll jump to right at the end. This is Jesus in the garden of Gethsemane. Um, he's about to be arrested, taken onto the cross, be uh, whipped and tortured, uh, do the walk of the cross through the town. He's about to be put on a cross naked, shamed. He's about to go through one of the worst human punishments possible. And yet he chooses to deny himself. Yet not what I will, but what you will, as he prays to the Father. Because he knows, even though it's going to cost him and it's going to hurt, the Father's will is better. The Father's will means salvation and life for you and for me. Yet not what I will, but what you will. Jesus takes up his cross. He carries it through the streets. He is shamed. He did what was right and true and good. And he pays the price for that. And then he dies and is resurrected so we can follow him. Life not in Jesus sees the ultimate good as having the power and the resources to get all the stuff you need to make you content, to make you peaceful, to make you have a joyous life. Life in Jesus sees the good in receiving contentment, peace and joy from him, even when you don't have the stuff. Stuff is good and fine. It does not give us the contentment and joy and peace that we long for. That comes only in Jesus. Let me pray. Father, as we think about our stuff and we think about life in you, Father, help us as disciples to see the things we need to say no to, to see the moments when we need to take up our cross and to see what it means to follow you, to walk in you, to be led by your spirit, to be led uh, as followers of you, to live a life in you, enjoying the contentment of being uh, saved by you and found safe in you, enjoy the peace that comes with your sacrifice for us on the cross, removing all sin and punishment, and to enjoy the joy of being loved by the Father now and into eternity. Father, we thank you for you, that we might be safe in you. 
Jesus' name, amen.